With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan, and in this episode, episode 10, uh, we're speaking to one of the characters out in the middle of Speedway on the centre green. Kevin Long has been centre green announcer at Ipswich and also Mildenhall. Uh, for around 20 years, he's been doing this job. He always goes out there wearing a white jacket, and he's also got a little thing with rhyming intros for riders as well. Now, we're going to go right the way back to 1998, which was the first year that he was involved with Ipswich, and he's going to announce that legendary 1998 Ipswich team for us in just a bit. He's also going to be on the mic at the British final, find out what he's got in store for Jason Crump, hear all about those drenchings at the hands of Shane Parker, and we'll also discover his speed way paradise as kev uh, designs his own perfect meeting find out what the components are to that before the end but first of all let's meet him the man in the white jacket mr kevin long yeah good evening or afternoon whatever whatever day the time of the day it is that you're listening of your how did you get started in speedway though and where did your journey begin with the sport well i guess you've got to look back to how i started uh, watching Speedway, um, which goes right back to the early 70s. Um, and when Speedway was reintroduced at uh, Foxhall in 1969, we were still living as a family in Bury St Edmunds in uh, Suffolk. So I'm, I was born and, and raised in Bury St Edmunds. And we, we didn't move to Kesgrave, which is where we moved to, which is just on the outskirts of Ipswich. Uh, until um, late in uh, 1969. Um, So the Speedway was up and running, and my dad used to come over from Bury St Edmunds to watch it with my brother, who's uh, slightly older than me. Um, And then, obviously, when we moved to Kesgrave, uh, my dad and my brother used to go uh, quite regularly. And I was never bothered. I mean, I was only sort of six, seven years old at the time, so we used to sit with friends um, of my dad that he used to work with just on the edge of the heath because in those days 
um, and some of the listeners have probably seen the iconic shots of the Foxwell Heath car park absolutely rammed with cars. I mean, you know, thousands and thousands of cars. So we just used to set Mum and I over with Mary just uh, on the edge of the heath. And then towards the end of the 72 season, I think it was, she said, my mum said, well, do you fancy going over tonight? And I was like, well, yeah, OK, could do. You know, really quite <laughs> not not very bothered about it. And I was, so that was 72. So I was coming. So I was nine. And uh, so I went over and just was hooked straight away. You know, I was watching the racing because you go, you go and still to this day, you sort of see kids watching Speedway and they're running around or not really paying that much attention. I was absolutely glued to it from the first time I went um, back in the back in the late 70s and literally have been going to Foxhall ever since. Yeah. And, and at what age were you when you were you let loose on the programme? Because I think that's almost a rite of passage, isn't it? Where you're given your own pen and your own board and it's like, there you go, son, you can fill in the score yourself now. Oh, yeah. No, we all, I always had a programme. Always had a programme and um, meticulously neat with filling it in, even at that age. Um, and I know sort of when my mum then started taking um, Samantha, one of my nieces, who was hooked on it as well, um, she was filling it in a programme at five and six years old and, and, and she had teachers remark about how neat her handwriting was and, and how good her arithmetic was. Because you've got kids at that age that are adding fours to fives and then the cumulative score. And her teachers couldn't believe that, you know, she was adding these numbers up in her head. And because that had all come from the from the filling in of the Speedway programme. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a Speedway programme, I mean, that's you've got to have a Speedway programme, haven't you? Otherwise, you, it's a bit difficult to follow. I, I know I have been to sort of neutral meetings and, and individuals and thought, oh, well, I won't bother with a program but it's funny if you don't have one how lost you feel watching a speedway meeting without one yeah because you don't really have any sense of the drama that's about to come either do you because you can see where you're at in the meeting and then you can see oh hang on a minute look at eight thirteen and eight fourteen. who's coming up here that's going to decide it it sort of gives you the roadmap of maybe how things might pan out as well and, and then you've got the excitement of seeing if that is the case uh, well indeed and i've all, and i've always been fascinated with with people's sort of attention to detail and their sort of uh, microscopic filling in and, and the sort of uh, obsession with the race times. You know, if I miss a race time, I'm not too bothered. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll just sort of put a, a dash or a blank or I'll just put something that feels about right. And especially if I'm, if I'm working, I don't always hear them. But you'll be amazed at the number of people that, you know, after a meeting will come up to me both at Ipswich and when I also, always also used to do Mildenhall. Okay, what was the what was the time for such and such a race? You know, <laughs> and and you give it to them, and also those tracks that and they still exist that insist on giving the race time to like two tenths of a second. And I'm like, well, what is the point? Because most of these times, and my good friend Mark Styles, who's the timekeeper at Ipswich. He still does it manually with a stopwatch. You know, it's not done electronically with transponders, and I don't know why we quite haven't moved into that area yet, but that's that's by the by. But So it's still done with a stopwatch, so you've still got to rely on the timekeeper's reaction. So with any track record or any time, you've got to make allowances for the uh, accuracy of the timekeeper. But, yeah, it's the obsession with the race times. 
it's all part and parcel of the sport. So, you, obviously, you start off as, as many people uh, involved in, in Speedway in whatever fashion uh, do by, by going along and, and watching as a youngster and stuff. And when did that sort of line merge between being a fan and going along as an interested punter, as people do, to, to actually being involved in the sport and, uh, you know, getting out there in front of the crowds at Ipswich in particular? Um, when we sort of started going away on coaches and stuff like that, and I remember in the 97 season, we would go to all the meetings away. Uh, our, our supporters club at Ipswich is very active in, in arranging uh, away meetings. And um, we'd be away and, you know, we'd have such a laugh and a joke on the coaches. And, and, you know, people were saying to me, oh, you know, you'd be good on the centre green. Why didn't you sort of get get on the centre green and I was like well I don't even know how to do it you know let alone you know how to how to even get the job and we were away I remember we were away watching the witches at Bellevue we were away on a weekend tour and we actually were staying in the same hotel as the riders and the management and um, when we all got back to the hotel we we're sort of having a drink in the bar and, and we're sort of sitting around and and I was having a conversation with John Louis uh, obviously one of the promotional team at the time and said, oh, you know, I could do that job. And he's like, well, he said, we're, we're sort of committed to what we're doing now um, for 97. He said, but who knows what we might do next year. Um, and that was all that was sort of mentioned about it. But it was towards the end of the 97 season, the supporters club invited me to present their end of season event. Um, you know, where you get together, riders, rider rewards are doled out and uh, everyone gets together for an end of season bash. Most clubs have them and, you know, it's highlighted at the end of the season. And so they invited me along to uh, present the end of season awards uh, in the evening. And so I put a lot of work into that and a lot of research and uh, things. And um, unbeknownst to me that the promotional team at the time of uh, John Louis his then wife Magda Louie and Mike Weston used it as a, an audition. You know, it was a bit like X Factor for Speedway presenters. You know, <laughs> they just didn't have just didn't have the, the red buzzers in front of them. And I didn't realise that they were watching my performance, inverted commas, to such an extent that with an eye to inviting me to take the job uh, for 98. And that's exactly what happened at the end of the evening. They said, yep, yeah, we, we like what you did and we'd like to invite you to be the centre Greek presenter for the 1998 season. So, you know, that was that was amazing. And and for a lifelong fan of Speedway um, to actually get that job. And you've got to remember that John Eary, through the halcyon days of the sport, you know, the 60s, 70s and the 80s, I mean, John is is regarded quite rightly as, as the best ever centre Greek presenter. Um, to sort of follow, oh, we didn't follow John's footsteps immediately. There were a few in between. Uh, Rob Chandler, who is a, a local um, radio presenter, did it for a few seasons and had various other sort of people giving it a go. Um, and with no broadcasting experience whatsoever, I've never worked in broadcasting, to sort of just be a fan off the terrace has given a microphone to uh, to do the job was uh, yeah yeah life I, I wouldn't say it was a lifetime ambition because i'd never really thought about doing it up until that sort of point but um yeah that was that was the first year 98 and um never looked back really yeah well we'll talk about the 98 season in just a sec what were, what are your memories of that 
awards dinner though and did did they sort of put you through your paces in any 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 particular way that you recall well i've never i've never been as you can probably gather and people listening that know me you know never be won't be tall surprised that i've never been stuck for anything to say <laughs> um yeah i was i was quite nervous and i know i burnt the midnight oil um like i said in the preparation to that and i knew which riders were going to be present and so i thought well i'll get myself ultra prepared and i'll get a few little cue cards ready so um and i knew jeremy doncaster was uh, coming up uh, and i had made i had made these cue cards these little sort of postcard type cue cards because i'd seen it on the sort of telly you know when presenters and you know think what are they looking at and it's very subtle i thought well, i didn't want to give it away that i'd have reams and reams of paper making it look like I was unprepared. So little subtle cue cards were going to sit in the palm of my hand. So up comes Jeremy, introduced Jeremy. Jeremy's come up and, and I say, oh, good evening, Jeremy, blah, blah, blah. And, oh, um, you know, give him my first question. And I'd, I'd made bullet points, and I suppose I'd got about six or seven bullet points for each rider. Um, you know, things that I've plucked from the season, you know, to talk about and so on and so forth. So I've opened, Jer- opened with Jeremy's opening question. So we've gone through the opening question. And, and as you will um, become to realise, if you do ever interview Jeremy Doncaster, that you only have to give Jeremy one question and he'll give you 20 minutes. <laughs> and so I've, I've given Jeremy my opening question and sort of half sort of thinking whilst I'm listening to Jeremy's response and half thinking what my next question is going to be, I was like, oh, oh, hang on, that's, he's just answered that one, right, so, right, oh, oh, hang on, there he goes again, oh, he's just answered <laughs> that one, oh, oh, hang on, oh, no, he's just answered that one. And Jeremy managed to answer all my predetermined questions uh, as a result of answering just my opening questions. So um, <laughs> from that, I learned very early on, because, again, presenting a Speedway meeting and interviewing people are two different uh, things altogether. I mean, I do the in-house presentation for rerun as well, for rerun productions. And um, again, learning how to interview is a a skill in itself because you only have to have that example that as you're asking a question, they're then going to give you maybe the answer to what your subsequent questions were going to be. So um, yeah, learned very early on that it doesn't pay to be too prepared but having said that i think speedway people speedway fans know when the person that is presenting their meeting or their dvd or their podcast or whatever they know if the person that is talking knows their stuff and i think that's the fundamental thing to uh that's the fundamental skill you have to have with presenting anything you know even if it's a a a a meeting at work or or anything if you know your stuff and you can speak confidently and passionately and enthusiastically about it, that goes a long way, I think. You're listening to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan. My guest in this episode is Kevin Long, longtime Centre Green announcer at Ipswich Speedway. And uh, you're just sort of alluding there to the fact that your first season in the middle at Ipswich was 1998. And you say Ipswich 98, and many people will say one of the greatest British Speedway League teams of all time um what a team to be involved in and what a part of history to be involved in as well for you to see that unfold before your very eyes uh, um incredible i mean i i can tell you how it's the most nervous of anything i've ever done in my entire life um that night 
Um, I, I know I'd got, I'd got myself prepared. Um, I had worked on, on various things that I wanted to do. The rhyming intros that became a bit of a um, trademark for me in the early years and, and still exist um, on occasion to this day. They'd all been written, and I, I remember being up with the Supporters Club guys, because I also sat on the Supporters Club committee at the same time as well, and I remember sitting up in their, in their hut, um, really, I just had to get away and try and clear my head, you know, and this was about seven o'clock, this was before I was doing any other work, like with um, video companies or anything like that, we hadn't branched out into that aspect yet in 98. Um, and I remember speaking to the team, the, the supporters club team, and I said, oh, my God, I'm so, so nervous. Butterflies as, you know, big as bats flying around in my stomach <laughs> and, and I really couldn't see a way past that. But once we got going, um, then, yeah, it sort of I just relaxed into it. Must have made your job a little bit easier, though. I mean, it's such a phenomenal team out there on the track, though. Well, the format for 98 fell into our favour, of course, because uh, that was the year they experimented with six men teams and uh, permanent rider replacement essentially um, meant that, you know, four of the rides were nominated. And, you know, when you've got the likes of Tony Rickardson, Thomas Gollum, Chris Louie, um, it's going to take three of those rides. You know, your, your nominated rides, most weeks, we're going to probably get you double figures alone. Um, so that was, that was the sort of key to that. And, of course, everyone was bleating on about Thomas Gollum because he came in, if, and if memory serves, on a 7.5 average, which at the time was the average that a, a, a newcomer to the UK leagues would come in on. Of course, once Gollop had come in and, and sort of torn the rule book up, that rule was quickly amended for any newcomers to the British League coming in. I think their averages were then reassessed to eight or maybe 8.5, might even be nine, <laughs> to try and close that loophole. Um, but Magda Louie, you see, she was very instrumental in, in bringing over uh, Thomas. And he'd come over for the end of season event in 97 for our 16 lapper. And... Um, and I think we announced again uh, Golub's signature at the end of season event in '97, and Tony Ricardson's re-signing. Um, so yeah, I mean you could see on paper, but uh, of course, as we know, speedways are written on paper, and those guys have still got to perform. Um, but yeah, it was it was something pretty special. I mean, we took coaches of people to away meetings. I remember quite vividly the Coventry away meetings at Brandon, um, and Colin Pratt saying. You know, wish we could ride Ipswich every week because he had some big, big crowds. I mean, not only did we as Ipswich take coaches loads. I mean, we took maybe three, four coaches um, as of away fans. Uh, but then the, 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 the home fans, the local fans and the neutrals came out to watch Ipswich because they were such a draw that year. Um, and there were some fantastic meetings. And a lot of those meetings went down to the wire. Um, and it is still a constant source of delight for me as an Ipswich fan that in 1998 we met Eastbourne eight times, four times at Ipswich and four times at Arlington, and we beat them eight times. <laughs> um, there is still nothing um, as, as satisfying as a fan of Speedway. I'm not talking while I'm up with my presenter's head on now. I'm talking as a fan of Speedway to beat Eastbourne at Arlington. 
There is still something quite special about that. <laughs> Even more than beating Kingsley in at the Saddlebow Road, um, such had become the sort of rivalry between Ipswich and Eastbourne. And despite all the little tricks that the late great Bob Dugard employed to try and uh, ensure that, that the Eagles would win, the, the, the Witches still had the upper hand that season. And of course, we took flares, we took ticker tape, we became synonymous and notorious for our, our ticker taping of the terraces. And I remember, it was quite funny, John, um, um, Terry Russell, who was involved at Eastbourne at the time, wrote this really strongly worded um, letter, you didn't have emails then, to John Lewis saying that, you know, he would encourage he, um, the Ipswich fans not to bring flares because um, Arlington Stadium sat in an area of outstanding natural beauty and the fact, you know, we couldn't have this going on and that he was annoyed because actually we'd taken flares one time and where we used to stand as Ipswich fans going into the third bend the wind trajectory on that night was towards the first and second bend. And if anybody knows the setup at Arlington, they also have their VIP suite of um, guests at the top of the stand. Uh, we right. didn't realise that. <laughs> and on this evening, we'd let these flares off. I mean, we were very health and safety conscious. We took our own buckets of water in um, to, to plunge them in afterwards. And, you know, we were very diligent. And these flares went off because they completely filled out their sponsors lounge, which got brand new sponsors in who'd never been to Speedway before. And you can imagine what, what that must have gone down like. But um, yeah, a, few, a few moment, a few. And then John Cook took, the, took to the microphone. I remember this as well. Took to the microphone saying that he had fined the Ipswich promotion £150 because of the litter that we created with this ticker tape which we used to rip up on the coaches going down, you know, old newspapers and stuff. And it became quite synonymous with the with the travelling witches fans. My mum, bless her, when she was alive, she'd spend all winter cutting up ticker tape. So come March, she'd got bags of the stuff ready. <laughs> and um, we, we, we absolutely flooded the third bend at Eastbourne with ticker tape on one occasion. And John Cook took to the microphone saying that he'd, he'd find the Ipswich promotion £150 because that was what it was going to cost in additional clean-up costs to, uh, for his cleaners. So I went, I was enraged at hearing this. So I went and found a broom and I swept up every bit of ticker tape that was on the terraces, put it back into the bags, went and found John Cook, presented it presented him with the ticker tape in the bags, presented him with the broom, and I won't tell you where I told John Cook to put the broom, um, <laughs> and I said, I think that will be an end of the £150 fine. I said, but John, just bear this in mind. If you don't want Ipswich to bring two coaches of fans to your stadium and encourage other people to come along as well, just say, and we won't come, you know, we don't have to come, but we come to support our team and we come to put money through your turnstiles and into your business. And after that, I think, you know, there was a mutual respect, I think, probably the word after that. You're obviously a very vocal supporter. Have you had many standoffs with, with members of the opposition support or the opposition teams? Yeah, it's funny. I, I remember going, and again, this is Coventry. They all, these all sound Coventry related, but... It's just come to me, the sort of answer to the direct question. Um, Peter York, who did the Centre Green announcing at, at um, Coventry for many years and did a lot of the big meetings. He always did the British final and a lot of the big open meetings. And I remember going to him 
and remonstrating with him in the in the pits after one of these meetings with Ipswich in ninety eight that his presentation was very, very unfair in as much as he gave no credit to the travelling fans, no welcome to the travelling fans, and actually, when we launched into our war cries, made a specific point of talking over the war cries that we were doing. And you couldn't not hear our war cries. They were being shouted by 100, 150 people on the first and second bend at Coventry. So quite vociferous was the noise we were making. And I said to him, I said, Peter, I said, you've been really quite unfair tonight. I said, A, you haven't given any credit to the Witcher's Riders when they've got five ones. So they go over the, you know, so a Coventry pairing, Hamill and Hancock, gone over the line. Oh, let's come on, Coventry. Let's hear it for Hancock and Hamill. You know, Louis and Ricardson go over the line. Nothing. Not even, <laughs> not even mentioned. Go straight to music or David Hammond in the box. And I said, you're being completely unfair. You know, okay, you are going to be a bit partisan. And let's not ever forget that home presenters are going to be partisan to the degree. But you've also got to be fair. You know, I always pride myself on welcoming away fans, acknowledging um, great riding from the opposition, whether that's been a 5-1 or, you know, an away rider getting a maximum, you know, things like that. Credit where it's due, respect where it's due. And I think... Um, yeah, I, I left Peter York with something to think about. I mean, I won't tell you the exact exchange because, you know, it's before the watershed. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think afterwards he, he realised that maybe, you know, he needed to just be slightly more accommodating to the away support riders and uh, appreciate things a bit more like that. Yeah, well, it saves me from having to uh, upload this as an explicit podcast as well. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about your relationship with the riders, though, because you mentioned there you you, you do your like, rhyming introductions, and I think you have had a particularly good relationship with a number of riders uh, at Ipswich o- over the years. Uh, you know, and that, and that has sort of added an element of um, I don't know, shall we say, soap opera to to proceedings, perhaps over the course of the seasons as well, hasn't it? Well, if you'd like, um, uh, would you like me to recount all the rhymes from the Ipswich 98 team? Would you like a little bit of nostalgia? Yes, please. Okay. And c- can you deliver them in the same way that you would have done on the uh, on the centre green as well? It, it won't take us long. We'll just wait for this train to go past. There's the train. Because I, I know a lot of people over the years have said to me, oh, what was that rhyme you used to do for so-and-so? What was that rhyme you used to do for so-and-so? Okay, so- and the, these ones I'm about to give you were the very first ones and these stuck for many weeks until I then branched off and started to deviate with them. Okay. But I'll give I'll give you the '98 ones as delivered on the centre green at Foxhall in '98. Adios, amigos! It says on his rear, and once he's in front, you do well to get near. So make some noise and start your shouting. Here he is, Savalas Clouting. Yeah. <laughs> All air horns are banned at Foxhall. Oh, are they? You can clap or use a rattle. Yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) He's back for the witches in 98, so please make welcome our checkmate. He's looking good in his fancy garb. He's fast, he's furious, he's Tony Svab. (laughs) The next rider here is a real crowd pleaser. His female fans think he's a bit of a teaser. He's young, he's exciting, he's got the lot. 
It's the boy Nichols. It's Hot Shot Scott. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> he's leading he's leading the witches yet again a grand prix racer in the world's top 10 he's gunning for glory believe you me the witches skipper chris louie we've had continentals through the years some brought us joy but most brought us tears amando castagna did the italian job but now from poland it's tomasz golov and make some noise wherever you are and cheer the witch's Swedish superstar. Here he is, there can be only one. Raise the roof for Tony Ricardson. What a lineup. What a lineup. So it's better in it's better in rhyming, isn't it? Oh, fantastic. And would you do that when you're doing the team announcements at the start and, and then through the the meeting as well? No, they just got those on the on the on the parade because we line the riders up behind their bikes at <coughs> yeah. Foxhall. So um, yeah, they got them. Uh, so the, the the home riders got them every week, and then it would be selected uh, away riders that would get them. Usually, the number one um, would get them. Now, I would at this point refer to my folder of rhymes but i know that i don't have it here unfortunately my good friend jason colthorpe who's probably listening took them away for winter amusement uh but i still have them all handwritten um but there's one that i did for um eastbourne and it was um when you think of eastbourne you think of one man out to beat the witches if he can the eagles hold him in the highest regard you bet he's here it's Martin Dugard. <laughs> you see, now that worked on a few levels. It was it was the rhyming of regard with Dugard I was particularly pleased yeah. with. But also getting in that You Bet reference. Because if you remember, there used to be a TV programme on Saturday night called You Bet. Yes. Where members of the general public were bet to do the most outrageous and extraordinary things. And Martin Dugard featured on it. Um, him and John Cook came up with the idea that Martin Dugard couldn't put a football into a into a net with the back wheel of his speedway bike in the studio. Really? So his bet was to go on his bike and turn, and every time he turned the bike, his back wheel had to flick the ball and go into a net. And that was the idea behind the Brighton Bonanza, because John Cook and Martin Dugard then got together and thought, well, if you can ride around in a such close, tight proximity as a TV studio, maybe you can ride around in close and tight proximity to the Brighton International Centre. And from that was the idea born that, that later then became the Brighton Brighton Bonanza. Blimey. There you go, eh? It's uh, wheels within wheels. So I was... So I was particularly pleased that I managed to get the um, yeah the reference to you better. But in, in later in later, so it's always the visiting number one. Um, but then it became a bit it, it became a bit of a challenge to write them and finding the time to write them. And as I changed jobs and so on and so forth. I mean, in '98, you know, it's a former job, so I have to I, I, I don't have to sort of tell you or don't have to worry about it anymore. But there'd be a couple of days a week that maybe were d- devoted entirely to writing rhymes for speedway meetings in between doing a little bit of work as well but yeah later on they became um reserved for for select riders um most notably um shane parker 
and um, our soon-to-be visitor to Foxhall um, and the British final, Jason Crump. And um, I remember Crumpy used to come into the pits and was always avidly keen to know what his rhyme was going to be. Um, I went up to Glasgow for Shane Parker's testimonial. Me and the aforementioned Jason uh, Colthorpe, we flew up to um, Shane's testimonial and delivered a about 12-verse rhyme on the centre green for Shane's testimonial. Um, yeah, they were they were always good fun and, and quite a challenge to write, but quite pleasing when they're well received. On the subject of Shane Parker, can you remember his rhyme? No. Um, um. I, can remember, I, I can remember most of the ends used to go, um, whether it's red, blue or green or something much darker, one thing's for sure, it's always... Shane Parker. Um, but of course, we became more synonymous for our, for my dowsings of water. Shane Parker spoke about this in our um, episode that we did with him. Um, here's what he had to say about you. I have a listen to it and, um, and, and you can react accordingly. Here we go. I always had a lot of banter with Kevin Long, who was the announcer at Ipswich for quite a while. Um, apparently, I came in from a race one day and um, my mechanic turned around and said to me, he goes, Jesus, that commentator just ripped into you and give you heaps. And I said, did he? And um, so I thought, all right, no worries. So I thought I'd grab a bucket of water and stroll out to the infield and tip the bucket of water over him, which I did. I drenched him. And um, <laughs> he was standing there with a microphone in his hand anyway. I ended up getting pulled into the Ipswich office at the end of the meeting. This was after I'd rode for him, mind you. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, one of the promoters at Ipswich, Mike Weston, was trying to get me banned. He wanted to get me banned because I was, could have electrocuted Kevin Long with a microphone in his hand. <laughs> and I turned around and said to Mike, I said, what, with a nine-volt battery in it, mate? I said, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> that, it, that's exactly right. I do remember that meeting in the, in the referee's office. And, and the referee, I think, if memory serves, it was Mick Bates um, asking me if I wanted to take things any further. You know, um, and I thought, well, you know, bear in mind, I was only about three weeks into the job and I was, like, oh, no, 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 you know, you know, just sort of live and learn. But but the, the, the build up, the reason he was getting um, comments from me was because there'd been a there'd been an exclusion. Now, bearing in mind uh, and what Shane doesn't mention in that in that clip there is that Shane always said um, to me and he said, I think, at the end of. The meeting we had with the referee was that and i think kings lynn ended up losing 60 30 to ipswich that night he was like whatever I, he said my job is to ride speedway score points but also to entertain he said and and people will go away from this meeting tonight he said thinking oh what an awful meeting 60 30 they'll read the headlines in the paper oh kings lynn must have been rubbish ipswich must have been too dominant but, and it made headline news in our local paper. The main headline was uh, splashing times at Foxhall. There was a picture of me in the bucket of water on the front page. Good friend of mine, still to this day, and the official Ipswich photographer, Steve Waller, got a picture on the front page, a picture on the back page of the local paper, and a double-page spread of pictures all around that incident. And, and Elvin King, who wrote for the Evening Star then as the Speedway correspondent, I think two thirds of the report were about the dousing on, of water because there was very little to write about, about the meeting itself. <laughs> and that's what Shane always said, you know, you've got to leave them thinking about something else. He said, not only that, he said, next time I come with Kings Lynn, 
people won't come because of the antics. And and he's hijacked the tanker and the and the tractor at Foxhall before now, as, yeah. as he spoke about in his in his previous podcast. But the build up to that incident, I'm getting sidetracked, was that he'd been excluded from a race and he was having none of it. He came out as if he hadn't been excluded. He was off gate one. I know that because he was closest to me. Um, he'd been excluded. The referee had left the, the exclusion light on. Um, I'm not co- sure what co- quite what helmet colours we were on that year. It might have been white. It might have been green. It might have been purple. I can't remember. But um, so and the start marshal has got the black flag and the coloured disc in front of him. Um, Buster Chapman has come out as the team manager trying to say, "Come on, Shane, come back to the come back to the pitch. You've been excluded, mate. There's nothing we can do about it. Just let it go." And I was having to fill over this as we we're talking about filling earlier on. I was like, "Well, what do I say?" And I'm ad libbing. You know, it's one thing you've got to do as a speaker presenter is learn to ad lib. And I was like, "Oh, ladies and gentlemen, think nothing of this." I was going over the <laughs> microphone. I said, "Don't forget." I said. We had Mitch Shearer in our team a few years ago because Mitch saw out his his career in the UK with Ipswich in 93, I think it was. And, you know, Mitch was fiery. You know, he, he used to like to go up to the referees' box and remonstrate with the referees, you know. I mean, he was diminutive, Mitch, but he was fiery, as anyone listening that knows Mitch Shearer will testify. And I said, oh, don't worry about this little interlude, ladies and gentlemen. I said, we've seen remonstrations much better than this. I said, Mitch Shearer used to be much better at this than than Shane Parker is trying to be. And that was what then got fed back to Shane that I had done what I had said. And when he came out, he came out in the interval. And I thought, and we used to do our interval draw. We used to do the, the raffle in the interval. And I thought, oh, that's good. Shane's come out to pull the raffle. You know, not thinking anything about it and not even seeing the bucket of water. My learned friend, Mr. Waller, knew something was up because he'd seen the bucket of water and followed the bucket of water. Because being a top professional photographer, he knew where that was going. And uh, so he was in the right place at the right time to get the pictures. And um, yeah, he, 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 he just launched. And I can see it to this day coming towards me, this water just completely doused me. I think what caught me by surprise was more the fact that I was in the midst of drinking my interval cup of tea than anything else. And there are some great pictures. And I have got a montage that Steve gave me of the bucket of water and, and the aftermath of, of Shane then talking into my co-commentator, the late, great Brian Knight's microphone at the time, because Brian used to be out on the centre green with me in the announcer's role. Um, Shane then speaking into Brian's microphone, his response to what I had said. But yeah, that started a um, that started a great relationship between us. Um, I remember it, um, Scott Nichols' testimonial at Foxhall at the end of the meeting. Shane got the the big stadium hose pipe that <laughs> pumps out gallons and gallons of water. Uh, he got me pinned to the ground, and again, great pictures of me being pinned down to the ground, covered in this water. Um, he even came round, especially on the end parade lap of honour, when he visited Foxhall for the last time as a rider. Um, he came round with the Sheffield. He came round with the Ipswich team. The Sheffield had lost, but he came round to take his last la- uh, laps. Um, and his mechanic, his Ipswich mechanic at the time, Nigel Birch furnished him with a bucket of water coming out of the fourth bend so just as we pulled up 
in front of homestand my final bucket of water from Shane Parker, <laughs> which I expected, but um, was um, nonetheless uh, welcome. But the great thing about that uh, Scott Nichols testimonial was that, as I said, Shane used to get these rhyming intros um, that, you know, again, that were, were near the knuckle. You know, they were just about um, uh, broadcastable, given the fact that we were in afternoon meetings. You know, there was a little bit of dubious <laughs> rhyming rhyming in, in there. But he had written a rhyming intro for me, which I was, thought was the ultimate compliment, you know. And uh, he had written that on a plane somewhere. He was with his wife, Angie. And um, she said, what are you doing? She said, what are you doing? She said, oh, he said, well, I've, I've got an invite to um, Scott Nichols' testimonial at Ipswich, he said, and I'm going to give um, Kevin Long a bit of his own medicine. And he'd, he'd painstakingly written his own, and it was about six verses, intro for me. Um, he handed a, he, Brian was in on it, and he gave him his microphone. He delivered it perfectly. Um, and, yeah, I thought, and I said to him, the only thing I could say was, touche. You know, because it was it was the um, yeah, it was fantastic payback in my in my own language, you know. But yeah, some some <laughs> dousing, dousing some water and, and but that's what Speedway has lost with characters lost to the sport like Shane Parker. Unfortunately, you know, Speedway's got a little bit too clinical now. Uh, rules and regulations have tightened up to such an extent that you can't do that sort of thing anymore. Uh, and I think Speedway's the poorer for it. I want to talk about your um, your presenting attire because you're you're quite distinctive out on the centre green because you're you're always wearing your your white dinner jacket. Um, is it is it a full white suit or is it just the jacket? No, it's just the jacket. And I, I, I tell you the story. There's a, there is a story behind that. There has to be, doesn't there? But when I when I got invited to do the end of season event the 97 one from the supporters club i thought well i've got to stand out you know people need to be able to see see wherever i am at any given point you know if if the supporters club need me and i'm not on the stage you know they'll be able to see me the fans will be able to see me the riders know where to come so i thought well i'll get a white jacket so i went to co's menswear which is still in ipswich um and and hired hired an outfit um, I th- yeah, it was a full it was a full dinner uh, regalia. So it was trousers and everything, cummerband and a wing collar shirt and a bow tie. So and and then for '98, I thought, well, maybe I'll use that as my sort of trademark. You know, I hadn't seen it before. I know Ian Thomas, again the late great presenter who really knew how to put on a show. I knew he used to wear one back in the day. For various events but i hadn't seen a sort of current presenter wearing a white jacket and i thought well that will actually do the job that i need it to do people will be able to see me instantly they'll know where i am on the center if i'm roaming because part of a big part of my job uh, i was going to say now of course we haven't done anything in 2020 but a big part of my job is to roam the terraces um, and go and meet up with fans especially at Foxhall. Uh, we have a group of fans on the back straight called the uh, massive and they make loads of noise and and we'll talk about them, just make a side note, because we'll come back to them and talk about them in greater detail, the massive. But um, And I thought, well, that will be very good because uh, people will know where I am at any given point. So as part of a, my 98, I thought, well, let's see if Coes want to sponsor me. You know, so I wrote out a sort of sponsorship package. I said, you know, you'll get you'll get your name in the programme, because in those days I used to also write a column in the programme. I said, you'll be in the programme, um, obviously, I'll give you multiple mentions. You'll become sort of linked in with it. And they gave me a very good deal. I've got two white jackets, I think, two sets of trousers, dinner shirt, cummerbund, 
don't think I've got any cufflinks though. That was the only thing that was probably missing. <laughs> um, and they kept that sponsorship up for a few years. Um, but the manager director um, was very keen to get involved um, and was delighted. So uh, yeah, for, for many many years I had the I had the uh, gear sponsored. Um, but then when they sort of relinquished their sponsorship, I still knew the lady, Pat her name, and to this day she still works at Coes. She was in charge of the men's hire. So if ever the jackets were getting a bit tatty and I needed to replace one, I'd go and see Pat in menswear, in the in the um, high wear, and she'd sell me a, a sort of um, try-on model, you know, ones that they just have on the peg for, for fitting purposes, not the ones that you end up sort of hiring for your event. Um, and she'd sell me those cheaply. So um, oh, because nice. they, they might, might be a bit threadbare or a little bit stained, but when you're stood in the middle of the Foxhall terraces, and I tell you, the one that I'm going to wear at the British final, you know, if you look at it closely, it's definitely seen better days. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit threadbare, but it will do for one meeting. But um, yeah, and, and then I know for our 98 end of season presentations, because it had been such a great season and we got so much to present, I'd gone back to Coe's and said, look, I've been wearing the, the sponsored jacket you know what else? It's a really big glitzy, glamorous affair. Um, what can I? What can I hire? Or what could you know? And they're oh yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll sort you out, Kev. Um, so I got this fantastic outfit, sort of three three quarter length jacket, sort of goes down to the sort of thigh, and it was it it was all um, the embroidery on it, it was heavily embroidered, um, and it was just a knockout, matching waistcoat and stuff like that. Um, and they said, the only proviso is, please don't wear it outside. You can wear it indoors, but don't wear it outside. And I never had the heart to tell Coes that I actually used it not only for our indoor presentation event, but also the witches that year were accorded a civic reception in Ipswich by the mayor. So we had a big event on the town hall steps and the, and the bikes on the town hall. And I wore it for that. But it was, <laughs> it was, it was a fine evening, even though it was sort of uh, October. Um, but I took it back and it was it was unblemished. No champagne on it because that's the other um, scourge of uh, a presenter when things are going well. You get quite a few bottles of champagne tipped over you. And um, I remember throughout the years, lots of champagne. But the worst thing that I ever got um, a cupboard win in, we do, you remember the ice bucket challenge, don't you? That was all the rage yeah, a few years yeah. ago. So you do the ice bucket challenge. So I got I got doused with seven buckets of water. Then out of nowhere, Rowan Tungate comes up with some of the lime that they use for the line for the start line, and threw threw a, um, a jug of lime over me. <laughs> um, but then out of nowhere, I hear this loud bang. And I disappear into white and I thought I've died and gone to heaven because I could not see anything other than white. I was in the middle of this white cloud and I thought, well, that's it. That must be what it's like to die and go to heaven because I'm just in the middle of this white cloud waiting for this cloud of, of, of white to disappear. And what it was was Richie Worrell thought it would be hilarious to discharge a fire extinguisher over me. Um, from behind me so I didn't even know it was coming so it came from the rear and he just blasted this fire extinguisher over me and um, yeah I was covered in the the um, the remnants of this uh, co2 fire extinguisher of course which are readily at hand but uh, the paramedic at the time Jason Gillingham said to me he said Kevin he said don't um, whatever you do he said you've obviously ingested a lot of that 
He said, whatever you do, he said, don't sleep too far away from the bathroom tonight. He said, because those fire extinguishers, if you, if you inhale in them, they can have a severe laxative effect. He said, so make sure that your run from the bedroom to the bathroom is sort of obstacle free tonight. He said, because you may need to get there in a bit of a hurry later on. <laughs> but imagine, imagine thinking you've died and, and, and these are the clouds and they're going to part and you're going to see, uh, you know, St. Peter at the pearly gates. And actually it's Richie Worrell with a fire it's extinguisher. Richie yeah. But it was, it was funny <laughs> because he was mortified because I mean, I was absolutely covered in this stuff. I mean, fortunately, the white jacket went in on a 40-degree soft wash and came out, and that was all right. I've managed to retrieve my glasses. I mean, there is a YouTube clip. If the viewers, are, if the listeners are, are interested, if you go onto YouTube, and I think just put in Kevin Long Speedway presenter, there is a YouTube clip of it um, that will come up, and you'll, you'll see it at the end. And I come out, and I'm just, I've got a white face, uh, and I, I, find, I find my glasses. But Richie, bless him, was so distraught, he actually brought me a bottle of wine the next time he came to Foxhall as a sort of uh, an apology gift. So uh, <laughs> no hard feelings between me and Richie Worrell, but, yeah, something that I, I never fail to um, remind him of on occasion. <laughs> All well, all's well that ends well, thankfully, on that one. Um, your your next meeting, then, is um, is surely going to be a career highlight and and obviously we've been in a very weird year this year with very little speedway uh, in great britain but um the british final is going to be happening um at uh, foxhall as the time of, of recording this we're sort of a week or so away from uh, from the event and we know as well that there is going to be um a couple of um, special guests uh, joining from overseas it's a bit more like a um a commonwealth final uh, of the olden days really isn't it but um you must be very much looking forward to getting back out there for this big meeting well, yeah, I mean, just to take that point about the inclusion of the overseas riders, you know, I think um, I've seen a lot of stuff online today and, and last couple of days since the, the announcement that Jason Crump was going to be participating. And I think people have got to realise, you know, we have been starved of top line speedway in this country for the, our entire season. You know, we, there is one event being put on, you know, as a test event, you know, so... Uh, Ipswich are putting it on, you know, under government uh, um, regulations and instructions. And I've got a meeting with Chris Louie next week because apparently I'm deputy COVID minister for the evening. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> and I've got to read, read out all sorts of COVID instructions during the course of the evening. Anyway, I've got all that to learn next week. You're not going to do bar. that in, in, in rhyme, are you? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think. Oh, hang on, make me make a side note. Find words that rhyme, rhyme with, with COVID. Rhyme with, rhyme with pandemic. Um, <laughs> And um, so I've got all that to do. Um, but also, you know, I think people are losing track. You know, Ipswich uh, have invited a lot of riders. A lot of riders, you know, have declined the invitation. That's that's their won't. You know, they don't have to do it. You know, they, they might be unprepared or don't want to go to the hassle for just one meeting a year. And all the stuff's been mothballed or they might even be on holiday. Who knows? But, you know, so the authorities are trying to put the best line up together. And I think... You know, the inclusion of Jason Crump, you know, coming back and coming out. I mean, he was going to be an Ipswich rider after all, let's not forget. So I think the inclusion of Jason Crump just takes the event to that sort of level. You know, it's going to attract a lot of media interest that maybe it wouldn't have done with, with Jason's inclusion. You know, heaven forfend, we might even make the national newspapers, you know. Uh, let's see. But let's take it on, on its merits, on, it, on what it's worth. But yeah, I mean, in terms of career 
um, highlight. I mean, I remember going going to the British final as a kid when they were at Coventry, and I mean, this is before we had our big pay, big days at Cardiff annually to look forward to, and and to me. I was as excited about going to the British final at Coventry in those days as I was for Christmas Day, you know. And I remember my dad would be up extra early. He would absolutely clean the car from top to bottom. Um, it, that the car would look immaculate. My mum would pack up the most fantastic picnic that we would have in the car park at Coventry and, and with adjacent friends, um, this, you know, supporters pull up next to each other on our picnic blankets all part of it you know banners packed program boards that are ready whistles air horns rattles whatever you know it was all part of the day and i remember you know watching john louis get his uh, british final maximum in 1975 um i remember you know that epic runoff between mark lorem and chris louis in 97 you know and being halfway over the over the fence screaming for chris to do it because obviously in that in that year Mark had uh, moved on and he was at he was at uh, Kings Lynn and it, and and Chris was at, at Ipswich you know fierce rivals best of friends great mates but a fantastic race um, you know and unfortunately you know the British final has lost a lot of its uh, luster over the years and they have tried to reinvigorate it you know with the with the winner of the British final becoming the wild card for Cardiff. In, in recent times. So that's added that sort of spice element to it. But um, yeah, I always remember the British final as, as the biggest day in British Speedway. Um, and let's hope what we're able to put on at Foxhall um, at the end of the month, you know, can be the best event that we can put on. And now for an exclusive, um, you have the rhyming introduction for Jason Crump. And you mentioned before that Jason is, has always had an interest in this. And one of the reasons he was looking forward to riding for Ipswich was because uh, he could look forward to regular intros from you. Um, probably, I think, I heard probably what sealed the deal, to be honest. Uh, but you've, got, you've written the introduction only today. And um, this is the only place where you can hear it from the man himself. So, you'll, ladies you'll and gentlemen. At, you're, you'll hear it at Foxhall if you're one of the thousand lucky enough to come in. But okay. for, 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 yeah, Humans with Speedway listeners, here's an exclusive for you. Jason Crump's British final introduction. As a former world champion, he's held in high regard and invited along tonight as the meeting's wild card. Scheduled to be a witch in 2020, we were looking forward to him scoring points aplenty. But we'll have to make do with just one night, so here he is for your delight. Whether you love him or hate him, there really is no doubt. When he's in a race, you will definitely shout. You could liken his popularity to that of Donald Trump, so here for you tonight is Jason Crump. <laughs> well, I think the genius with that is not only uh, does it rhyme perfectly, but it's very topical and of the moment as well. That's what I try, you know, and I always try and end with the, with the rider's last name if I can. Um, so I always, that's where I always start with a rhyme is with the last line. So with the last word, Crump. 
in this case. So it's like, right, what rhymes with crump? So then you go through, you know, dum dum. Oh, sorry, that's my doorbell. Did you hear it? I <laughs> that's just Jason Crump wanting a refund. It's, it's Jason asking, <laughs> can, I, can I read it to him again? So you know, and so it's always start with the last, the last word, and trying to find words that that rhyme with that, which actually leads me on to talk about the Scott Nichols uh, nickname of Hotshot Scott. And I've heard many people try and claim that they invented the moniker Hotshot Scott. And I was like, well, no, because in that opening rhyme of Scott, of um, Scott Nichols back in 98, you know, I end with it's the boy Nichols, it's Hotshot Scott, because I couldn't get anything to rhyme with Nichols. So I thought, well, I've got to get something to rhyme with Scott. So that's where that came from. But uh, yeah, and you know, they try and I try and make them slightly amusing, slightly topical, uh, not too long. Um, so I think I think Jason will be pleased with that. I think he will. And um, good luck with the, the British final for when it comes round as well. I'm sure it'll be a fantastic meeting. And uh, you know, everybody's just desperate to see some decent speedway at the bottom line. That's where it is, isn't it? Well, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, Ipswich is well placed for hosting an event like that. They, you know, uh, they continue to host because for those that don't know, Foxhall, uh, as well as being a speedway venue, is also a stock car venue. Um, it's the largest oval, uh, tarmac oval raceway in Europe. So they have the World Hot Rod Championships there um, every year over a, a bumper speed weekend in July. Um, and so they've continued to do banger racing and stock cars because they're not elite sport. So that's the sort of, uh, that's the contradiction. You can actually get more people into Foxhall watching uh, stock car than you can Speedway, yet because Speedway is deemed by the government to be elite, um, you know, we're only allowed these thousand uh, visitors and spectators. But yes, uh, Foxhall's well appointed for that. Two big stands on the back straight that have gone in in recent years um, and plenty of terracing for people to be able to space out. So uh, I hope everybody adheres to the sort of slightly, slightly strange sort of uh, procedures that we're going to have to adopt on that night. But uh, yeah, we'll have a British champion in 2020, and that there's no doubt. And 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 not only that, but the the icon, the trophy, the British Championship trophy, to me, is the most iconic piece of silverware in world speedway, not just um, British speedway. Um, but it is the most fantastic trophy. And you know the th strange thing about the British Championship trophy? Do you know that on there there's a spelling mistake? No, I don't. I've never actually uh, got uh, so close up to it to, to check the spelling. <laughs> if you if you look, and there are close-ups, where it says uh, British Championship, in the word ship, the word ship is spelled S-I-H-P, <laughs> not S, not S A, not S H I P. There's a, a, a spelling mistake on what I consider to be the most iconic um, trophy in British Speedway. But I love presenting that trophy or seeing it presented. And um, yeah, whoever wins it at Ipswich at the end of the month, you know, we'll we'll have that honour. Okay, right now let's turn our attention then to your dream meeting. Possibly the only meeting that could be better than the, the British final, in, in, in your view. Who, who knows? Um, we call it Speedway Paradise. Um, it's just a little set of questions, really, uh, for you to design what would be your dream meeting if you had the choice with the, the, the perfect facilities and the perfect people involved as well. So um, let's kick off then. The first question is which track would you like to see this raced on? Um, 
the track I'd like to see it raced on is a track that I used to love to go to. It's not with us. Well, the track is still there, and there's an active campaign to get it back in use. Is Oxford. Um, now, I used to love to go to Oxford on a Friday night. I'd often go just as a neutral Speedway fan um, because the dimensions were very similar to Ipswich. It had banking, more banking on than Ipswich. So you've got a different sort of, sort of style of riding um, at Oxford. Um, we as Ipswich fans always used to congregate on the um, third, on the apex of the third and fourth bend. If those that know Oxford, there was the pits tunnel that came out of the pits. They sort of came from underground almost. Uh, we used to sort of stand to the left of that as you looked at the track. Um, so you had a great view there. Um, always well prepared. Um, good shape. Um, I remember Andreas Johnson guested for the witches once and, and um, was a fantastic guest. And this was not long after he uh, started his career. Uh, I think he got paid maximum. I think he got 17 plus one that night. Uh, as a guest, but what what um, fascinated me about Andreas that night was that he was also team riding and looking for his partner. Um, so yeah, Oxford would be the track for me. Okay, yeah, it's, it, and I think it has been mentioned um, before, perhaps by somebody. I think it may have been Phil Morris actually in that episode we did not so long ago. But um, but yeah, great track and one we'd love to see back if if they can make that happen. Um, which stadium though would that track go in? Well, again, we've already we've already mentioned it, um, and another track in similar or not quite in similar circumstances. I mean, poor old Brandon Coventry Stadium is is looking very very sad for itself these days, but not being demolished yet. And again, another uh, campaign still active to get Brandon uh, Coventry International Motor Speedway, as Peter York always used to address it, which used to tickle me. Um, but, um, yeah, I'd love to say, I, I would put my meeting in Coventry because as I mentioned earlier on, uh, that thrill of going to Coventry on those British final nights or afternoons, uh, as a kid, as a, as a, a youngster, as a teenager, um, and then watching the witches there, say that certainly in 98, uh, and many other, individual events there you know i remember seeing jeremy donkers to get uh, overseas or commonwealth um, championships there uh, and some great events uh, at coventry and in its in its day you know when when it was at its height i mean charles ockertry i mean he he knew how to put on a show uh, and nothing was left unturned under his tenure of the promotion of, of coventry speedway um yeah i mean it was a beautiful stadium um, and let's hope that one day it's able to be resurrected. Probably not to its former glory because the amount of money that would cost nowadays. But, you know, there's still an active interest in, in putting on both Speedway and, and Stock Car and the, and the Brisker um, Formula One there. So, um, you know, let's hope that comes off. Yeah, and it's been a brilliant campaign that's that's been put on to, to save it and, and take that fight to the, the relevant authorities because I think without that, it would have been bulldozed without any second questions, really. So that's been a, a triumph. And, and we've got other clubs like we mentioned Oxford and then um, there's still a, a campaign to try and bring back Bradford as well um, into things, again, with support from stock cars. And I think that's the other thing that's going in Speedway's favour, perhaps, that um, one or two of the stock car promoters, because some other venues have closed down, uh, like the the old Bellevue and um, Stoke, you know that they they need more places to race stock cars too. Yeah, I mean when you when I mean what I think what fras what 
um, frustrates me, I think, more more than anything is when a when a stadium is is closed and then bulldozed with the um, eye for redevelopment, and then it never gets redeveloped. I mean, you've got to look what's hap- what happened at Smallmead at Reading. You know, that got bulldozed and it is a raise to the ground now. Although if you look at Google Earth pictures, you can still make out the track and the sort of rough uh, dimensions and aspect of the stadium. But that was bulldozed with a view to, oh, we, it's going to be redeveloped. For then for it to then just sit there and do nothing, you know, it could have continued to, to operate as a speedway stadium if they weren't, if the developers weren't intending to develop it you know don't just get rid of it because you bought the land and you, and you want rid and that that's a real frustration it makes you think you know what has happened has that happened to a lot of, of tracks that have been demolished erased but never never developed i mean a lot of iconic tracks i mean you see what's happening at wimbledon i mean wimbledon was an iconic um speedway stadium iconic stock car stadium uh, I mean, that's all going to be luxury flats. It's going to be the new home of um, Wimbledon AFC, isn't it? And, and what they're doing there is is a multi-multi-million pound um, venture. Um, but yeah, so a bit sad when they get closed and they're not and they're not redeveloped. But uh, yeah, let's hope with with the cases of Oxford and and Coventry, as we've mentioned, that they do come off and and we're able to see them uh, as thriving uh, tracks once again. Let's move on to the big question now. You're one to seven um, from any era, alive or not. No points limits. Who would you uh, who would you have riding for you? Well, I did I did a similar exercise um, with um, Mike Bacon in our in our Ipswich Star, our local paper, uh, last year. So it, it's fairly Ipswich heavy, um, but not all Ipswich riders. But um, so obviously, um, no self-respecting Ipswich or. Ipswich, my one to seven, could not have John Louis in, obviously. Um, you know, the work that John Louis has done for Ipswich Speedway as a rider, a promoter and ambassador for, for Ipswich, you know, is is second to none. You know, I mean, there are there are uh, statues of football dignitaries in the town, you know, Sir Alf Ramsey and Sir Bobby Robson and soon to be one of, of Kevin Beattie former Ipswich Town player and and how John Louis has escaped having a statue erected in his in his honour or any kind of um, recognition in terms of a, an M or OB or something like that for his services to the sport, uh, along with like the likes of Len Silver. You know, these guys have given their life to the sport. And um, I remember, um, I guess, one of the times watching John um, in action was in nine. I think it was nineteen seventy four, and my dad had just bought himself a new Ford three liter Capri, um, and he was keen to give that a run out. And John was defending the golden helmet. You'll remember the golden helmet match race series. Yeah. Um, and John was defending that against Phil Crump at Newport um, on on. I think it was a Friday night, the original Newport Stadium, this is. And uh, so we drove from Kesgrave, so just on the outskirts of Ipswich, to Newport in Dad's three-litre Capri. I mean, that did that did shift some. Um, and we got there. Um, it had been raining all the way there. I remember vividly driving over the Seven Bridge, and Dad's wipers were on double wiper speed, <laughs> and it still, still couldn't clear the windscreen. And we think, well, we're not going to see any speedway. But anyway, we get there. The track is waterlogged, but the meeting is still on. 
John arrives late because in those days, um, and also, yeah, in those days, the, the changing rooms were the opposite side to the pits at Newport. So we could see John running across the centre green to the changing rooms and getting back literally as the parade music is about to go on. Um, John comes out. He's defeated by Phil Crump in the Golden Helmet 2-0. And the most surprising thing of all, we then turn around and come straight home again. We don't even stay for the main event, which, in the, in, if memory serves, was Ivan Major's Exeter Falcons against the Newport Wasps. We didn't even stay for the main event. We came straight home. We went all the way to Newport in the driving rain to watch John Louis be defeated 2-0 in the Golden Helmet and came home. I mean, you wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't get anyone doing that these days. No, you wouldn't. That's a long old way as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Um, your, your second one. So, John Louis there. Now, um, Jeremy Doncaster, like John, you know, a legend of um, Speedway uh, in these parts and, you know, internationally as well. Um, like I say, he'd be a great guest for you, so try and get him on because yeah, he, really, sure. he really would be uh, fascinating to listen to. Um, I mean, I've known Jeremy since back in the day. He used to work in Davy Brothers, which was a motorcycle shop in Foxhall, where he worked after he left school. And his motorcycle shop was opposite where a little um, clothing boutique where my mum used to work, um, selling, you know, wool and, and ladies' uh, haberdashery and stuff like that. So I bought my first moped from Jeremy Doncaster at 16 years old. Jeremy's a couple of years older than me, uh, from Davy Brothers. And uh, so I've known Jeremy for donkey's, donkey's years, if you pardon the pun. And um, then um, I was when I was at college in um, 81, 82, the news broke locally that Jeremy was going to take up Speedway in, uh, in that coming season. And I remember we were out collecting for charity because we, we formed part of the um, Student Association. And uh, Jeremy was in a, in a pub local to here. Uh, the Golf Hotel on Foxhall Road. And I remember seeing a rattling my sort of charity bucket. I said, oh, Jeremy, you know, are you going to be, is it right you're going to be riding Speedway? And as laid back as you can imagine, he said, oh, yeah, mate, yeah, well, yeah, might as well give it a go. Because <laughs> it'd, been, it'd been prolific on the uh, grass track and had uh, been European grass track champion a couple of times. So John Berry had finally managed to sort of twist his arm to get him on Speedway, Speedway bike. Um, and in his early days, yeah, they, he didn't cover himself in a lot of glory in his first few meetings, but soon became, you know, a, a decent second stringer, f fantastic heat leader, captain for the Witches, won, won the double with Ipswich and Reading and, you know, third in the world um, and England international. So, uh, yeah, Jeremy gets his place, as does um, uh, Tomash Golob. So we put Tomash in um, because he brought into the Ipswich that fever pitch excitement and anticipation of going to a speedway meeting um you know that yeah obviously world-class riders and world champions still riding um in the in the uk at that time but thomas's inclusion at foxall and say the the, the uh the fans that came out to see him in the 16 lapper at the end of the 97 season was testament to sort of the anticipation and then 98, and again, he had a few seasons um, at, um, at Foxhall. But there's a funny story about Thomas because um, Thomas used to fly into Stansted on a Thursday, get picked up from the airport, ferry to Foxhall, 
and then he'd stay overnight at uh, John Louis's house at Kesgrave, uh, Tiger Towers, we used to call it. Um, so he'd stay overnight with John Louis and then be ferried back to Stansted first thing Friday morning. And there was a guy that used to do the airport run regularly for John on a Friday morning. But this one week, um, John was stuck and I happened to have the day off. And John was talking about this in the office. And, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I haven't got anybody to take Thomas back, blah, blah, blah. So I said, well, I'll do it. I'm off tomorrow. He said, are you sure? So I said, yeah. So he said, well, take my car. And John always used to have super powered cars. You know, I mean, John was quick on the track and he used to, he used to be like quick off the track as well. <laughs> and um, so uh, he said, right, he said, come to mine. Um, I, think I think I had to get Thomas to Stansted for, he, he, I think his flight was seven o'clock. It's an hour and 10 minutes from Ipswich, so that sort of took us to before six o'clock. He said, we said, you better be here till just after five, just to make sure, 5 a.m. So I was like, right, okay, I didn't realise there was two five o'clocks in, in one day. But yeah, <laughs> early start. I'll, early start. So anyway, I, I, I got there, didn't need to ring the bell. John had left the, the keys on the wheel arch. So I got in, Thomas comes out, morning Kevin, didn't speak much English. Morning Kevin, straight in, got a, got a bottle of water and a banana. So straight in, uh, the chair is uh, reclined straight away, chair back, back, reclined. He's asleep before I even get him off the estate where John lives. You know, he's back asleep and I'm like, oh, this is going to be an interesting ride, isn't it? You know, Thomas is asleep and almost instinctively, as if his body knows, an hour and 10 minutes he wakes up just as I'm pulling into Stansted into the drop-off zone. Um, there's another train going past. Um, so um, I go into pull into the pull up. He wakens up. Ah, thank you, Kevin. See you Thursday, and off he goes. Um, so yeah. So 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 Thomas Gollum um, is included. Um, Scott Nichols is included in my one to seven because uh, you know Scott now has had 25 years as a professional speedway rider. You know, from the time he first started, so he had so many years with Ipswich. Um, okay, he's represented a few clubs, but you know, with Scott Nichols, you always get 110% on and off the track. You know, he's worth as many points in the pits as he is on the track. I remember watching him with Lee Lanham um, doing exhibitions at Foxhall in the um, in the intervals um, back in the day. Um, yeah, I mean, probably never quite reached the heights internationally that he would have liked to have have done and claimed a world championship for for whatever reason as so many riders do you know Jeremy Doncaster will freely admit you know he was never quite prepared enough and never quite raised his game mentally enough for those big meetings to sort of claim the ultimate prize but uh, yeah you know Scott Nichols and I'm, I'm great I'm so pleased you know Scott is is working with broadcasters now to to bring us the speedway to our homes um, and is a great ambassador for for speedway um, so in that regard he gets his inclusion um, now Shane Parker gets an inclusion you wouldn't you'd think that's strange as an all-time favorite but he's an all-time favorite and for all the reasons that we've already spoken about sure um, but also on his track on track he is the master of the art of team riding um, that was, you know, uh, worth a lot of points for the witches over the years. Um, yeah, so Shane gets his uh, nomination there. Now, for sort of off-track persona and ability to, to work the crowd, uh, I've included Kim Janssen. 
Do you okay. know of Kim Janssen? I know of the name, but I don't know him um, personally in any way. So he was a young rider that John Louis brought over from Sweden. Um, well, to give him his full title, it's Kim Janssen everybody, because every time I introduced him, it was like, and off the outside in red, it's Kim Janssen everybody. And that became a sort of stuck as a bit of a catchphrase. But Kim was fantastic with the crowd. You know, he, he took so much great delight in uh, taking an extra lap at Foxhall because we've obviously got the perimeter stock car fence, you know, to take an extra lap and applaud back to the fans because they love that, that that sort of interaction with uh, Kim, uh, with the, with the, between Kim and the crowd. He was fantastic at that. Um, paralysed um, after a track crash in Sweden. Um, and then in, he did visit Foxhall a few times. Uh, because there was a group of supporters that did a, a arranged a, an open golf day at r nearby Rushmere Golf Course, and um, we had that for a number of years. And I was invited along to sort of be the master of ceremonies at the sort of end of day uh, play sort of um, prizes for the golf. So we always had a bit of a interaction with Kim there, um, and so it was always good to see him. Uh, and I'm delighted for him. You know, he's he's made a life for himself back in Sweden, married now. Uh, fathered uh, a baby now naturally um, so I'm thrilled that you know he's, he's carved a life for himself away from his speedway career and, and what happened to him but Fantastic. Uh, just for his sort of on track and his his crowd likability it's a shame he you know he couldn't have stayed uh, you know he, he couldn't have stayed riding speedway when the witches went into the second tier because he'd have been a superstar at that slightly lower level he was never going to be a world beater you know he'll he'll admit that, but as a team man, um, and uh, he was worth worth a lot of money. And then my last place, I think we're on number seven. Yes. Um, we dip into my time at Mildenhall because, as well as presenting at Ipswich, I have done a couple of stints at Mildenhall over the years because they're they're in Suffolk and are not too far away from me here. I'm in East Suffolk. They're in West Suffolk. Um, and we get our, fi our my final nomination goes to John Armstrong. Again, as a team man and as an, you know, an ultimate speedway professional, you know, John epitomises it all. You know, he always gives 100% on the bike, but off the track, you know, if ever there was a crash, you know, irrespective whether it be home rider or away rider, John would be the first one out of the pits to see if the rider was all right, you know, to reassure them. Because a lot of the times the riders, especially young riders, and I see this a lot, they go into panic mode when they hit the dirt because they think the worst. They think they've broken something. Mm -hmm. You know, they think that's their career over. You know, John would be on the on the scene as a fellow professional to sort of reassure them everything's going to be all right. You know, you're going to be okay, mate. You know, and he'd be out there first every time. Um, again, great team riding. Uh, fantastic round Mildenhall because he's diminutive so he was perfectly statured to score points round Mildenhall because it was just a tiny little circuit uh, a, a local hero folk hero for the Mildenhall Fen Tigers um, supporters uh, and again a great man to have in your team um, always worth uh, having John in there for points on off the track really fantastic um, oh i know i know yeah. what i wanted to ask you yeah i did i did um i did look at your footer on your on your email that you sent me yeah and you were you were a nominee mm. in the one voice awards for 2020 yes and so the nominee is for male voice artist of the year 
Yeah. Radio commercial best performance. Yeah. Radio promo best performance. Mm -hmm. Outstanding live event announcer, voice of gold. Uh, best outtake of the year. But the one that I want to ask you about is the telephony in store overall best performance. Now, is that the voice we hear when they go, opening checkout three, please? Uh, <laughs> is that you? Or, no. or the, uh, the, ne the next customer, ticket number 12, yeah. please. Is that you? Unexpected item in bagging area. Um, yes. Is no. That no, it's That's not me, but I do know who that is. Ah. Um, yeah, it's weird. You have these voiceover conventions and, and um, yeah, you're running into the voice of all sorts of uh, everyday things. Um, no, it's not. Um, I do the in-store um, sort of adverts for the radio station that's inside all of the branches of NICER, oh, okay. uh, the corner shop. Um, oh. So I do all the, the in-store kind of... Uh, all this month, you can get great deals on Pringles. Uh, oh, right. So you're um, not the guy I hear at no. Sainsbury's going, cleaner required in aisle six, no. broken bottle of jam. No. That's <laughs> not not that guy, no. But if uh, if, if you were to uh, call Eon to get your electricity um, oh, bill sorted, then oh. you will uh, hear me. And <laughs> if, if you listen, especially in Ipswich, if you listen to Ipswich 102, uh, I I'm all over that. Ah, right. But yes, I'm very good friends with Paul Morris, the uh, station manager. Yeah, well, I, I do all their promos. So oh, um, right. this oh, week right. on Ipswich 102, you can win something. In fact, it's Ipswich 102, uh, who is a bit of audio that was recorded for them that is best outtake of the year, I believe. Uh, and I think it involves earwax. So, uh, but anyway, we'll find out this weekend if I okay. win that. So, uh, yeah, that should be good. Well, good luck. Thank good you. Good luck with that. <laughs> right, very quickly then, um, before I have to go... Um, if you could pick one referee, it would be Christina Turnbull. Yes, yes. There's a lot of love for uh, for Christina. Because, again, small small story. Um, we have a group of fans on the back straight. It's it called the Massive. They make lots of noise. They bring a concophony of equipment and and uh, musical instruments to really up the atmosphere. Um, and they always have a big tub of sweets. So Christina was um, refereeing at Ipswich once. And uh, with my microphone, I'm saying, Christina, because I'm the opposite side of the stadium to her, I said, Christina, would you like me to bring you back a lolly, dear? And I can see her nodding. So I take <laughs> her back a lolly. We're riding Edinburgh on this particular night. Anyway, a couple of, I, did, I deliver said lolly to um, Christina Turnbull. A couple of heats later, she has to make a decision. There's been a, a, a stoppage and she has to make a decision. And it's quite a 50-50 as to whether the Ipswich or the Edinburgh rider is going to get excluded. Anyway, she... She excludes the monarch. Anyway, John Campbell, who's their team manager, goes up to the referee's box and remonstrates with Christina that she has been bribed by the presenter with a lollipop, and that has influenced her decision to exclude the Edinburgh rider. Wow, controversial times. Well, yeah. <laughs> and she sent, she sent me a great picture of her sucking on a lolly of which description i can't again pre-watershed yeah. tell you but um no good 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 a very fair referee very fair makes the right decisions and i always think the sign of a good referee is when you don't know who the referee has been at a speedway meeting yeah you get home and you go oh who was the referee you know they're not there for personal glory or to make a name for themselves they're there to do the job to referee the speedway and if you if, you, if you've been there watch the speedway and gone home and haven't even noticed who the referee is they've done a very good job Absolutely. And on that um, subject, if you could change one rule, it would be? Oh, I don't know. 
I think the, the amount of tinkering they've done with the rules in recent years, and I, I include in recent years for things like going from upright engines to laydowns, the inclusion of dirt deflectors, changing helmet colours from white to green to back again to white to yellow to yellow black to yellow black to yellow. Um, you know, a lot of that is papering over some fairly big cracks in Speedway. Um, so I think, you know, there's no one rule. There is no one rule. I suppose, the, well, as opposed to a rule change, I would like to see the introduction of a rule, if I'm allowed to change the subject. Yeah. And that is when there's been an unsatisfactory start and the riders go on a time allowance, it's only a one-minute time allowance. It's not, two more, yeah. it's not two more minutes. Straight back, no reason to refuel. There's, you haven't used any fuel you know, you've made a start, you know, the, these bikes can do 16 laps on one tank of fuel. We know that it's Foxhall. You know, don't need to refuel. You haven't got to change your gear. You're not going to put a new tyre on. You're too late to change the gearing ratio. Straight back to the tapes. That's what I'd like to see. And uh, under a one-minute official time allowance rather than given in that time because it's that break in the continuity and the momentum of a meeting that I think as a fan... I get frustrated by, yeah. and I'm sure lots of people do. Nice shout. And uh, finally, the team who would be the opposition, any any complete team from any league in history, who would it be to ride against your All-Stars? Well, I would have to slightly change my All-Stars. I'd have to put a couple <laughs> of guests in okay. to my, to my All-Stars. So, um, unfortunately, my All-Stars... Um, can't have Thomas Golub and S Scott Nichols in because they're uh. unavailable. <laughs> so I've got guests in for Thomas Golub, Nicky Pedersen guests for Thomas Golub, um, and guesting for Scott Nichols because he's had a rubbish year and his average is low is Jason Crump um, because my All-Stars will be riding against the Ipswich Witches in 1998. Fantastic. Fantastic. It had to be, didn't it? Um, well, look, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Kev. Um, some great stories and um, all the best for when you're back in the middle again, um, firstly with the British final, but of course, hopefully next year when uh, things might be a bit more normal. Well, I can't wait um, until we're back at Foxhall, uh, so at the end of the month. It's 7.45 and I'm, uh, I'm able to say my immortal words for our opening race. We've only just begun. It's heat number one. What a perfect way to end. My thanks to Kevin Long for joining us in this episode of Humans of Speedway. Hope you've enjoyed it too. Don't forget you can leave us a rating. Give us um, some feedback as well if you like on whichever app you're using to, to listen to this. It all comes through in the end. And there's plenty more episodes for you to check out as well. If you're one of our new subscribers, welcome along. Thanks for enjoying this episode. And check out the other nine episodes which are waiting for you. Something for all aspects of Speedway covered, including a look inside the referee's box with Chris Derno here from um, seven-time British champion Scott Nichols, the man in the jazzy shirt from off the TV, you know him. Um, also, uh, Nigel Pearson. We can also hear from Neil Machen, the legendary promoter of Sheffield, and um, many more to come in the future too. And, of course, keep up to date with the latest happenings. Get all the news first into your news feed of your social media. We're on Facebook, search for Humans of Speedway, and follow our page there, and on Twitter, at Speedway Humans, to find out all the goss before it happens and some preview clips as well. And until next time on Humans of Speedway... Take care and we'll speak soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.